Can we just sing that chorus together? Oh, great and mighty one, one desire we come, that you would reign, that you would reign in us. We're offering up our lives, a living sacrifice, that you would reign, that you would reign. You know, so many times in our lives, so much stuff all around us always fails us. There's so many, so many distractions and there's so many things that are happening in our lives. It seems like there's so many bad things that are happening all around us, so much destruction and it's, and it's kind of depressing at times. But there's hope and there's truth and there's strength in the name of Jesus. So as we sing this out today, yeah, amen, amen. So as we sing this out today, just find comfort in that hope that Jesus Christ is our hope. Let's sing this together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone. This solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand.
sing till he returns. Till he returns, what calls me home? Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Yes, here in the power of Christ, I stand.
God, we thank you so much that you're our healer, Lord. God, we pray, we ask you to just continue to speak to us today, God. I pray that we would just be able to hear your voice today. God, that you would just allow us to continue to open up our hearts to you. God, that we can hear a word from you today, Lord. God, we thank you that we can come, we can sing songs to you. God, you're so worthy of our praise. And I I just thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, for us, God, for us. And that's why we're here. That's why we worship you. You're so worthy, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good evening. I'm Mary Alice Hoover, and I want to welcome you to New Spring Church tonight. And I want to ask you, especially if you're a first-time guest, if you have just a moment, if you could fill out the Talk to Us card to let us uh, know what we can do to help you better. And if you could bring that back to guest services in the main foyer, or there's a small guest services in the back by the coffee bar, uh, we would love to give you a gift if you'll just drop that off with us. And while I have your attention, just want to share with you just a little bit. Um, my mother is a very godly woman. She's still living. And... Um, She taught me many things when I was young that I really treasure. And one of the things she taught me was to treasure God's Word. And I remember when I was very young, she sat me down and she said, You know, there are countries where they're not allowed to have the Bible. She said, There are countries where they gathered up the Bibles and burned them. And in our country, we can have a Bible. We have the freedom to to learn what it says. Everything we sing about, everything we talk about comes from that Bible. It's so important to have that truth available. And you know, there's still countries where they can't have a Bible. And uh, we have an opportunity throughout the month of May, we collected an offering to send Bibles into some of these countries where it is against the law. But you know what? It's um, the law of God says, let's get the truth to those people. Let's give them an opportunity to hear the truth. We have collected so far, we're about $13,000 short of $50,000. $50,000 is 10,000 Bibles. Now, Mark and I prayed about this, and we decided to double our gift. So if you're here tonight, and you think, I could get just a little more, a few more Bibles to send over there, uh, please mark it on your envelope, Bibles, or you can give electronically and just choose the Bibles category. We would really like to send that $50,000 to send 10,000 Bibles overseas. One more thing, if I can keep breathing and talking. There's a special opportunity coming up tonight. I'd like to share with you. It's a special um, ministry to my heart. It's called Starting Point. Starting Point is offered here at New Spring Church. It's 10 weeks in a small group environment. We spend 10 weeks tackling some really tough questions. If you're new to faith, you're new to New Spring, uh, now this is not a church orientation. This is more about digging down deep into the big questions of faith, like uh, does God exist? Why do we believe God exists? Where did the Bible come from? How do we know a bunch of people didn't just get together and write it? Um, why do bad things happen? We've all seen tragedy this week, haven't we? Why do those tragedies happen? We spend 10 weeks in a discussion group talking about those things. If you're new to faith, or maybe you've been in faith all your life, but you just still have a lot of questions. That's my story. I grew up in faith, but I, I grew up with lots of questions. Then I met the question answerer. <laughs> you can't have him, but um, you can come to starting point. <laughs> okay. Um, there is a great opportunity tonight and tomorrow, but if you are here and you're interested, at 5.30, if you go over to the East Building, there's an orientation. That is not an obligation. Going is not going to obligate you, but if you go at 5.30 over there and take a look at the materials, meet the people that are involved, you can decide if that's a good fit for you. Um, I would say yes, but give it a try. Okay, one more thing. I would like to um, ask the, those that are taking the evening offering to come forward, and I would ask you to take a look at what's going on at New Spring. Thank you. In just a moment, we'll be hearing a message from God's Word. Please silence your cell phone or any other electronic device. If you have a baby or a child in the room that might cause a disturbance, or if you need to talk to somebody, please go to our overflow area in the foyer so that others can concentrate on the message without any distractions. Are you looking for a way to energize your marriage? Attend the Vows Conference at New Spring Church, led by our couples pastor, Jonathan Hoover, and special guest, Donnie Van Curen. It's only $25 per person to attend the two-day conference coming up on July 19th and 20th. Find out more at vowsconference.com. If your elementary age child would like to be baptized at this upcoming Kids World Watermark or learn more about a relationship with Jesus, 
attend Jumpstart. It's a 30-minute session designed for kids and their parents, and it's coming up on Wednesday, June 19th. Find out more at newspring.org jumpstart. First Wednesday is our monthly midweek service where we'll have a time of worship, take the Lord's Supper together, and hear a message from God's Word. It all starts this Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. right here in the auditorium. Find out more at newspring.org slash first Wednesday. Ever wonder what you're going to do on a Friday night? Well, wonder no more, ladies and gentlemen. Kids World FX is coming up for a free night of totally fabulous family fun. A star-spangled FX is a must. Why, we're going to have zany games. We're going to have amazing music with guest singers. And, of course, an FX-sized dose of American pride. And for the star-spangled finale, despite Mr. Dan's objections, I've prepared something super amazing all by myself. An incredible firework extravaganza! <laughs> Okay, maybe not. We'll come up with something though, and you don't want to miss it. It's free, it's family, it's fun. Star Spangled FX. FX like you've never seen it before. Last year, when I was getting ready for our TalkingToGod.com series on prayer, one of the books I read was The Circle Maker by Mark Madison. I don't remember a whole lot of what he said, but there was a particular line that he, he wrote that synced up with my life in such a way that it gave occasion to this series. And here's what he wrote. Please understand that spirit whispers are few and far between, but those whispers echo forever. What he's saying is there are times in your life when God will talk to you not audibly, not writing something in the sky, but God will speak to you. And I agree with Mark, that doesn't happen very often. To be honest with you, when people tell me what God has told them, I usually run from them. But I do believe that there are moments in our lives in which God does speak to us. I like the title Divine Whispers because God does not scream in his children. Have you ever been in a mall or a public place and you hear someone scream at their child? There's something about that that just, just pushes back against us. It's not something that a parent does. And God does not scream. He whispers. And therein lies one of the issues for all of us in this busy age where most of us cannot put our cell phones down for a few moments because we're expecting the next ding of a text or we're expecting somebody to call us or there's something that we got to watch or some friend told us to watch this video. It's very hard in the pressures of this world to stop and listen long enough and to be quiet enough in our spirits to hear God whisper to us. It's hard also because we're so filled, and I speak about myself here, we're so filled with our own plans. There was a preacher in the Bible in the Old Testament whose personality is a great deal like mine, and I cannot wait to get to heaven to meet him because I feel sure that when I sit down with Elijah, we're going to have a lot in common, ADHD, anxiety, up one moment, down the next but a passion for God and passion for God's word. And Elijah, after having one of the greatest moments that any minister has ever had, as he stood on Mount Carmel and prayed a prayer of 58 words in English, and the fire of God fell, identifying that God was the true God of Israel. After a moment such as that, Elijah became anxious because the queen got after him, and the queen determined that she was going to kill him. And Elijah ran for his life, and then running for his life, he began to blame God for everything that God had done wrong or failed him at doing, and he simply said to God, in, in, in English words, in common words today, Elijah said, God, you never finish anything. You hang me out to dry. And it was in this moment of collapse that God spoke to Elijah and said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. That's attractive to me. How many of us would like to hear such a message from God today. Go out and wait because God is about to come by. What would you think it would be like if God came by your life? 
Would you expect to weigh your experience with the greatness of God? Would you say, I think God is a great God, therefore I'm going to have a great experience? It's going to be noisy, it's going to be catastrophic, it's going to be huge. If God were to act in my life, then it would be something equivalent to what I expect God to be like in size. Well, I think that's what Elijah thought because the Bible said a, a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. That's some kind of wind. We know about wind here in Kansas, but we don't know about wind that splits rocks. And I'm sure that when Elijah saw that, he thought that was God, but God, the Bible says, was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Some of you have come from the West Coast. You've come from other places in the world where there are earthquakes, violent earthquakes, and I've heard from those who live out in California and Oregon and places where earthquakes are prevalent that people say nothing makes you feel as small as an earthquake. And Elijah thought, well, then God is in the earthquake because there were times when God did move with an earthquake, but the Bible says the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, a raging fire. And Elijah must have thought, surely God now is going to show up in the fire, but God was not in the wind, God was not in the earthquake, and God was not in the fire after the fire, the Bible says, there came a gentle whisper. God does not scream at his children. Powerful people do not need to scream. Powerful people can speak softly because they have such power. They do not need to scream. If you've ever had interaction with somebody who's extraordinarily powerful, who ran a corporation, you know that person does not have to scream. That person simply needs to write a memorandum. That person needs to simply whisper under their breath, I would like this to happen. And it happens because there are powerful people. And so it is with God. He does not have to scream at you. He does not want to scream at you. He wants to whisper to you and me. My question is, are we cognizant? Are we ready to listen to God? I have heard in my lifetime a few of those whispers. And maybe I should save this particular part of the message for the end of our series. But I want to let you know that in these whispers that I've experienced hearing from God, there have been five characteristics that have identified these as divine whispers, and let me give them to you. Here is the first one. In every situation, destiny was at stake. These were not idle. These were not capricious moments. These were not moments that did not matter. Destiny hung in the balance. The second thing, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but I will admit it to you because I want us to all benefit from the series. At that moment of a divine whisper, I was thinking reasonably in the eyes of the world, but I was about to make a huge mistake. So do you now have number one and number two together? Destiny is at stake, and I'm thinking right in the ways of the world but I'm about to make a catastrophic mistake. The third thing that I find consistent about divine whispers is God's whispers are confrontational and powerful. When I was thinking along the lines that the world thinks, but about to make the wrong mistake, it was as if God at times, it was almost as if I felt God put his hand in my chest. You guys and gals who play basketball, you know what a power move that is when someone puts their hand in your chest. And it felt in each one of those cases as if God was confronting me. But the odd thing about it was, amazingly, number four, it was comforting at the same time. We would think that if God whispered to us and confronted us that it would be a painful moment. But I have to tell you that in all four of the occasions I'm going to share with you over the next four weeks, it was a time of great comfort in my life. And the fifth thing, and here is the important thing for those people that you've met who hear from God all the time. As soon as I heard this word from God, I was well aware of the fact that it was amazingly consistent with his word, with the Bible. The moment I heard the expression from God, it was consistent with all kinds of things that I had read in Scripture. Here is the point. God never speaks to you in confrontation or in contradiction to his word. This is the reason why spirit whispers are so few and far between. If you're holding a Bible in your lap, you are holding God's word. You're holding God's message to you. So much of what God wants you to know, as Mary Alice said a few moments ago, is in God's word. How many of us have time for everything in the books, but we have no time for God's word? For us, it's an ancient book, but it's not an ancient book. It is the living word of God that breathes power into our lives. And now maybe the most significant question to beginning this series, why should we share my experiences? Why should we be talking about the four times that God talked to me in my life? 
Well, I'll try to answer that question as best I can. Next Thursday, I came here 28 years ago. I don't know where all the time has gone, but I came here 28 years ago. And it seems that it's the will of God that I spend most of my adult life yoked together with you as pastor and people. And I want you to know that in all four of these cases, it will be very apparent to you that these four statements did not only change my destiny, it changed New Spring Church's destiny. If God had not spoken, things would be different today. When you hear me preach next week's message, you will understand when I say, I do not think you would be sitting where you are tonight if it were not for God's second divine whisper in my life. I don't believe you'd be here. I don't know where we'd be. I don't think we'd be here. The second thing is these four whispers permeate Scripture. And they weren't just meant for the moment because as God spoke these words into my life, they didn't just speak there for the moment. They continue to resonate. And every day of my life, pretty much, I think about these four divine whispers. And they have so many applications that I know they're going to have applications in your life. And the third reason why I share with you my experiences is that someday I think your destiny, if it hasn't already, someday your destiny will hang in the balance. And you may be about to make the wrong move. It won't be that you're sinful or your heart is hard against God. It just may be that you're thinking like everybody else is thinking. It's just like you're thinking the way the world thinks. It's just how things are. And maybe you're going to be at that moment, but God will come along and he will whisper in your ear or whisper in your heart more specifically. And you will know that God has come in his grace to lovingly confront you, to put you on a different path. I can tell already I'm going to be so out of time, and I may not be able to preach everything that I want to preach tonight, so you might want to just watch this online for another service because I'm woefully out of time. When God called me to preach, I was 16 years old. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to be a pastor. My father pastored longer than I'd been in America. And I knew that it was a, a wonderful job, but a difficult job. And I wanted to be an attorney, or I wanted to go into broadcasting and then go into politics. And I'll laugh through the years because we've been broadcasting for more years, and it's a headache to me sometimes. And pastoring a Baptist church, as I did for so many years, I certainly had all the politics I wanted. But I don't know how else to say this. It just seemed that when God called me to preach, he put me on the fast track. It sounds so unreasonable today. But I began to speak at meetings and conferences when I was 16 years old. I was asked to join a staff as associate pastor of a church when I was 17. And God just began to, it was, it, there was no doubt about it. It seemed like he had me on the fast track. By the time I was 20, I was pastoring. When I graduated from college, I went to Houston, and while I was in Houston serving in a church there, God worked in, in, through me in ways that I could never have imagined. I was 22 years of age, and I wound up working for a pastor who we would say in today's terms was probably bipolar and a wonderful man, but he, he, it was long before we understood how to treat, and, and, and I just never knew what I was going to find. There were days when he would just go off the rails, and, and there were times when he would like leave for four weeks, and I never heard from him. But during that time, I preached every service. I led every song. I taught the teachers. I wrote the lessons. I performed funeral. I preached, performed weddings. I preached funerals. I, and, and I walked the streets of Houston. It was an inner city church. And people used to beg me, Mark, or Pastor Mark, or Brother Mark, what they call me back in Texas. They would say, please don't go out by yourself. It's dangerous out there. But as I walked the streets of the inner city of Houston, I saw God do extraordinary things. I could tell you all kinds of stories of how I saw God rescue people from drug addiction and alcoholism and come to faith in Christ. And I baptized them. And in the time that I spent in Houston, I just had a sense of confirmation that, yes, indeed, God did have me on the fast track to use me mightily. But unfortunately, my pastor's condition worsened greatly, and the time came when I was aware that I, I probably needed to move on. And I came back to my home church at Fort Worth and served on the staff there, and it was a wonderful church, but I'm not really sure they needed me all that much. And, and so for during that season of time, Mary Alice and I would wait for our next assignment because we had a sense that God had something planned for us that was a wonderful destiny. But all during those years in Fort Worth, it was as if God had slowed me down or put me on the backside and, and opportunities would come up in strange disappointments. I remember a church that wanted me to come be their pastor very much. 
and I had preached for them, and they had, there, there were over 50 pastors that had sent resumes. I never even sent a resume, and they narrowed it down to two. One man was the age that I am now. I was 24, and they were about to call me. In fact, they said they had already decided to call me, and it was a wonderful opportunity in the fast-growing corridor of North Fort Worth, and I thought, surely this is my destiny. And I never will forget the night when the chairman of the deacons called me and said, we are ready to call you as pastor. Now, you are 32. I said, no, I'm 24. And I could hear the gasp on the other end of the phone. And that opportunity dried up. And in time, with all the disappointments that had happened in those years in Fort Worth, we decided that it was time for us to build a home. And we built a new home and, and settled in. And I was living in my hometown, six miles away from where I went to high school, Serving my home church, everyone assumed that I would follow my father, Pastor. And all of a sudden, this church in Kansas began to contact me. And I remember I tried as best as I could to be kind about it. But when you are comfortable and when you are at ease in life and you've had some disappointments, you just don't want to be disappointed again. And you don't, and you most of all, when you're comfortable, you know you're comfortable. And so I did my best to be gracious about the consistent invitations, but kind of say no in a positive kind of way. But I still remember, and I must make this story very short, that the pastor and his wife, and it was my, the, the idea was that I would come here in a, in a transition, be co-pastor for a while, and, and then transition into pastor. He'd been a professor of mine. And he started telling me about Wichita, and I remember we went out to eat that night, and we came back to my home south of Fort Worth, and I live south enough of Fort Worth that I could see the stars at night, which if you've ever been in the Metroplex, you know what that means. And so I, I remember I went out to the curb to say goodbye to the pastor and his wife of, of this church. And I said goodbye to them, and they drove off. And I remember walking up the driveway of my new house, and I looked up and I saw the stars. And to nobody in particular, I thought, but you know what? You can never talk to nobody in particular because God is always listening to you. To nobody in particular, I began to talk out loud as I walked up my driveway, and I said, why would I ever want to leave this place? I am a Texan. I love Texas. I love the smell of wet Bermuda grass. I mean, I, I am Texan through and through. I can't help myself. And I thought of all the opportunities that, you know, that were easy before me. And here's what I said. And I don't know why I said it out loud, but I asked this question. I said, why would I ever want to leave? I'm comfortable. And for the first time in my life, the Spirit of God whispered into my ear. But that was a very strong whisper. I felt his hand in my chest as I heard this question more strongly than if it had been audible, I heard the question, whoever said I wanted you comfortable? To make a long story short, 28 years ago, next Thursday I came to this church, and I want to tell you, I've never been comfortable since. <laughs> that is a fact. There have always been fresh and new challenges. And some have broken my heart. Some have excited me beyond belief. Half my life this year will be spent here as pastor of this church. And I can tell you that I've been through the greatest moments of my life and darkest moments of my life as pastor of this church. I've never been comfortable, but I can tell you this. For these 28 years, I have been on a journey with God. Now, you could sit back and hear that all up to now, and you can say, Mark, that's preacher stuff. That's missionary stuff. With everything in my being tonight, I want to look you in the eye and tell you I am no different from you. I am no better than you. There are many of you that are far better Christians than I am. God did not pick me to lead this church because I'm a great Christian. God did not put his hand on me because I was a man of great faith. Many of you have greater faith than I have. Who knows why God does what he does? This is just my particular assignment. I am convinced that if you're God's man in God's will, in God's time, if you're God's woman in God's will, in God's time, if you're God's person living out God's will, your journey is just as important as my journey. You may be a, a doctor or a lawyer or a plumber or an accountant or a, 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 you may be a, a stay-at-home mom. You, no, no matter what God has called you to do, your journey is as important as my journey. 
And so tonight I share with you that word from God because some of us here today in America, we may have become a little bit comfortable in our life. And could I share with you the word that the Holy Spirit said to me, whoever said, I wanted you comfortable. That's a strange thing to hear from God when God whispers to you for the first time. Why is it that God asks questions so many times? Why is it that the one who knows everything asks us who know so little questions? But look how many times in the Bible God asks questions of people. Adam, where are you? Is there anything too hard for the Lord, Abraham? Disciples, where is your faith? I, 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 why is it that the one who knows everything asks us questions? I think, ladies and gentlemen, it's because it's his way of challenging what's commonly accepted among us. I believe that God asks you and me questions because we begin to believe the mantras of this world so much that we begin to assume that God functions in those essentials. And God has to come along and put his hand on our chest and say, whoever said, I wanted you comfortable. Now that question to me is sort of interesting because God was inferring that I had begun to listen to someone who said that I did want life to be comfortable and maybe that I even associated it with God. See, here is the thing that's so interesting about that question. You and I, without realizing it, we can actually begin to believe that God does want us comfortable. In fact, we can actually begin to believe that God's work in our lives is proved by our comfortableness. Well, just think about this for a moment. If we're sick, we ask God to heal us. If we're in pain, we ask God to ease our pain. If we're in danger, we ask God to give us safety. If we're in need, we ask God to give us plenty. So you think about this, how if we're not careful, we can figure that if we have perfect health and we live in safety and we have plenty, that that might be a sign that God is at work in our lives. But oh, if you miss everything else, please don't miss this. Comfortable is usually the enemy of destiny. Comfortable is usually the enemy of destiny. Something goes wrong in the heart and life of God's people when we get comfortable. Please, please, we don't handle comfortable well. If you're holding a Bible in your lap, you're holding a book, that the message of that book is God's people historically do not handle comfortably, comfortable well. My time is fleeting, so I'm going to give these to you real quickly. Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect garden. How'd they handle that? And then there was Israel. If you, if you have your Bible in the Old Testament, there's a book called Judges. And in the book of Judges, Judges is the story of when God had brought his people into the promised land. They were given houses they didn't build. They were given vineyards they didn't plant. It was the land the Bible calls the land that flowed with milk and honey. He had promised them he would give them peace from all their enemies. I want to show you something. If you ever want to understand the book of Judges, you have to understand that there's a cycle that goes on over and over. And let's see if we can pull that up on the screen. Here's the cycle of Judges. Let's look at what happens in Judges. Um, the, the people turn from God. Let's just go up there and say they didn't handle comfortable very well. They turn from God. And then God judges by delivering the people to their enemies. And the people turn back to God. And then God sends a judge to rescue his people. They have a period of peace under the judge, being comfortable. And look what happens next. The people turn from God. Read the book of Judges. It just happens again and again and again and again. Every time there's a new judge, God, God gets us out of trouble, and we're, we have equilibrium, and everything is going real well, and we're peace and quiet. And next thing you know, we don't need God anymore. We don't handle comfortable well. One of the greatest kings of Israel was Solomon, David's son. And David had told, God had told David, he, he said, your son Solomon will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his time. In other words, God was saying to David, look, you've had to fight all your lifetime for everything, but your son, I'm going to give him peace and quiet and prosperity, and he's never going to have to worry about anything. How did Solomon handle that, church? Read with me. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord. Are you kidding me? On the Mount of Olives, where Jesus would pray at one point, 
Solomon, this son of David that God gave a perfect life to, an easy life to, he built an idol shrine where people brought their children to burn alive. Oh, if history proves anything, we don't handle comfortable well. I don't have time to go too much further, but you could read this about the rich man in Luke 12 or the church at Laodicea. Churches cannot handle comfortable well. That's one reason why I guess God is gracious in New Spring because we never get comfortable around here. But in Laodicea, it says, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. God said, I, or Jesus said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I want to see something where there's some difficulty, where there's some challenge involved. See, a lot of us think that a life of God, God's blessing would just be comfortable. Never have to worry about being sick, never have any difficulties, never have any issues with our kids, never have any issues with our marriage, never have any issues with work. If we could just be in this insulated bubble, that would be a sign that God had been good to us. That might be the worst thing that could ever happen to us because God might have to come to you and me and stir things up and bring in challenge and ask the question, whoever said, I wanted you comfortable. power of God is in the land of the uncomfortable. If you really want to see the power of God, you'll never see it in the land of the comfortable. Some of you have chosen comfort. You have moments of destiny where you could have stepped out to follow God, but it was too comfortable. And now you wonder, where is God? The way you use your money is comfortable. But you don't see God. The way you spend your time is comfortable. But you don't entertain God. The way you give in to the lusts and the cravings of your flesh is easy. But you don't see God. You can't live in the land of the comfortable and experience God because God is in the land of the uncomfortable. God is in the land of the people who know they need him. God is in the land of the people who are hanging by their fingernails. God is in the land of people who are risking great things, realizing that we're in a world that's going down the tubes and there's people who are not content to watch it happen in front of their eyes. Some of us tonight, our lives are comfortable, but they're meaningless. You know what's interesting? It may surprise you when God calls you to the land of the uncomfortable because I have a belief about this message and I have a belief about you if you're a Christ follower. I am convinced that at some point in your life, God is going to come along and he is going to say to you, whoever said I wanted you comfortable, and he is going to call you out of that comfortable life that you're in and he's going to call you to the land of the uncomfortable. And here's what may surprise you. It may surprise you when it happens because, see, most of us think that it happens when we're young and idealistic. But we can afford to be idealistic when we're young because we don't have responsibilities yet. See, that's the thing. Life has this tension. We tend to be idealistic when we're young and we don't have responsibilities. But when we begin to entertain responsibilities, that's when we begin to seek comfort. And we begin to have some disappointments in life. And the irony is, is that God will often come along, as he did to me, after I had began to experience equilibrium. And when I'd had some disappointments, God may come along at that moment and he may call you into the land of the uncomfortable. And you're saying, wow, what an odd time. God, if you'd called me when I was 18, I'd have been idealistic. But now... See what I mean? I wish I had time tonight to talk to you about Moses. Moses lived, and a lot of people lived longer back then, but Moses lived for 120 years. And you can, you can, you can take Moses' life and you can divide it up into three because until he was 40, he was the prince of Egypt. And then after he was 40, for 40 years he lived in the backside of the wilderness hiding from the law. And for the last 40 years of his life, he was the greatest leader the world had ever seen. See, Moses was comfortable for much of his life. You remember the story, if you remember Moses said, the, Hebrew, the Hebrews were in, instructed to, to drown their boy babies. But Moses' mother, you know, it was, it was like the law was put, throw your babies in the river. Well, Moses' mother, she complied with the law. She just put him in a basket first. They floated. You know, it's like, I'm obeying the law. And put his kid sister out there watching him. Princess came along. Pharaoh's daughter heard the baby crying. Ladies, you know what it does when you hear a baby crying, unless it's at 2 in the morning. And uh, 
she, you know, and, and, and Miriam was so smart, Moses' sister, she said, can I get a Hebrew woman to watch the baby for you? And, and, and Miriam said, and the princess said, yeah, that's great. So Miriam went and got her mother. And ladies, how would you like this? Moses' mama got paid big sum money to, to rear her own baby. That's pretty cool. But he grew up and went to the best universities and wore the best clothes. He grew up a son, as it were, of the Pharaoh. He grew up a prince. For 40 years, he lived an absolutely comfortable life. But he wasn't happy because his people were being tormented. So here's what he did. He decided to have a plan. He would be Batman. He would go out at night and he would, you know, he would, he would deliver his people. Then by day, he'd be mom, matter Moses and live the life of the rich and famous. But it blew up. And he killed a man who wound up having to run for his life. And so he went to the back of the desert and he became a sheep herder. And for 40 years in his life, Moses thinks his life is over. He's been through the phase of idealism. He's been through the phase of disappointment. Now he's comfortable. He's just marking time, waiting to die. And you and I know the story how that a bush was burning and it wouldn't be consumed. And God called Moses out of the bush and God called Moses. Now here's the thing. For the last 40 years of his life, if you've ever read the Bible, and I encourage you to do this, if you ever read about Moses' journey as leadership, it was one of the most uncomfortable times in the history of the human race. I mean, they had to go through Red Seas. They, had, they didn't have water. They didn't have food. You know, they had poisonous snakes break out. There were all kinds of mutinies for 40 years. Moses was never comfortable, but he changed the world by the grace of God. You may be surprised when God calls you to the land of the uncomfortable. I have one minute left, but I've, I've got to just talk about one thing before I quit. It could be that I've reached somebody here tonight and you are uncomfortable. And you say, Mark, I... It hurts, it's painful for you to say to me that God might want me to be in discomfort. There's a huge deal of difference between being uncomfortable and being in discomfort. Because guys, I gotta tell you something, for 28 years, I've never been, uncom- I've never been comfortable. But the irony is, it's that in experiencing God in the land of the uncomfortable, that you experience the comfort of God See, here's the thing. If you're living at ease and if you're doing whatever you want to do and you've got life going on and you're comfortable tonight, the problem with you is you don't have the comfort of God. You don't have any assurance that God is in your life. You're not doing any God-sized things. You're not even paying attention to God. But the irony is is that when you know that you need God and you're hanging on by your fingernails and you encounter God, although life is uncomfortable, God is there to comfort you. In the Old Testament, there is a verse that I've loved all my life. A preacher wrote a sermon. He died before I was born, but I read his sermon. And his sermon was called Iron Shoes. It was Roy Angel. And he quoted from uh, from Deuteronomy 33, verse 25, your sandals shall be iron and bronze. Now there's some question about how that verse is translated, but I think that's a correct translation. Can you imagine iron sandals? They wouldn't be very flexible, would they? It wouldn't be Dr. Scholl's iron sandals. It wouldn't be flexible, but are you listening to me? Nothing could penetrate them. And that's what it's like to experience the comfort of God in the land of the uncomfortable. It's not real flexible because God wants things done his way, but nothing can touch you. Nothing can touch you. If you are God's woman in God's time doing God's will, nothing can touch you. If you are God's man in God's will in God's time, nothing can touch you. You are invincible. You are untouchable. Why? Because the Bible says no weapon formed against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Another translation says this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. If you will allow yourself by God to be called into the land of the uncomfortable, where you may be hanging by your fingernails, but depending upon God, you will discover that God will outfit you. And it may not be flexible with his outfit, but nothing can touch you. And things will come up, oh, that I can tell you in these last 28 years of storm clouds that have come up that I thought were going to destroy me. And I didn't know how I was going to make it. And many nights I went to sleep at night and I said something like this to God, if you don't let me wake up in the morning, I'll count it a personal favor. 
But I can tell you after 28 years, everything that God has promised has come to, come to pass. Would you just listen to an old man tonight? I know that a lot of you are young and your pastor is old, but would you listen to an old man tonight who would tell you this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord? And God is calling you tonight from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. See, a lot of it, here's the thing. A lot of us are Christians and we, we read God's word and we, we, we love church, but the deal is we walk out of this place to a comfortable existence. We've gotten comfortable in the way we use our money. We've gotten comfortable in the way that we use our time. It's almost like we come over and give God just a little touch of our time, and then we go back to our comfortable life. Is that really what you want? Is that how you want to live? Oh, I'm so in overtime. I'm sorry. What do you want to be able to say when you die? When you look back on your life, what is it you want to say? I'm told that somewhere out in western Kansas there's a tombstone that says bold 300 in 1962. It's a fact. When people walk by your casket, what do you want them to say? Mark Twain said, look, he's moving. <laughs> Guys, I, I've never laid any claim to being a great Christian or a great leader. And I've done my best through the years to tell you about my own struggles so that you wouldn't elevate me, that you would look to Christ. There are two things I want to say at the end of my life. I want to be able to say, I saw God work. I saw God work. You can say what you want to say. You can tell me what you want to say. You can tell me it was the norm. It's just, just the way life works. I want to be able to say, I saw God work. And I want to be able to say, and he used me. And he used me. I really believe if you're a Christ follower, someday you're going to want to be able to say those things. I saw God work. I saw stuff that no human being can explain. Mary Alice is always saying she's going to write a book with the title, I had a front row seat for all the miracles. I saw God work. And I may not be much, and I've got a lot of flaws, but he used me. He let me be a part of it. He used me. My dad was very close to death. In fact, right before the service, I got a call. We need to rush up there, and thankfully kind of rallied. So I was a little late getting here tonight. But I was talking to Mary Alice yesterday and I said, you know, dad left no unfinished business. He has no unfinished business. Some of you have unfinished business tonight. Man, you got all the technology, you got all the toys, your time and your energy and the best part of you is getting sapped up by the junk of this world. And you're comfortable, but you're meaningless. And it doesn't have to be that way. Oh, God has called you to do great things. God has called you to be great women. God has called you women to be Esthers, to be Ruths, to be Marys. God has called you to do great things. God is calling you men to be Elijahs and Peters. God is calling you to do great things. I believe the Spirit of God would say to you what he said to me and says to me every day. He said to me as a 28-year-old kid, whoever said, I wanted you comfortable. May God bless you.